Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning and to worship with you together. Let me just give you a little bit of update uh, since this video was filmed in 2010. So again, my name is Isabella McMillan. My husband Joel is here uh, in this service as well. And uh, since this video has happened, well, that little child in there, he is six years old now. Caleb is six years old and he's probably entertaining the teachers upstairs. Um, and we have a daughter also who is three years old, Naomi Joy. And so time definitely has changed since then. And also in June of 2014, I stepped away from full-time teaching. And now I have a privilege to serve full-time with Operation Christmas Child. And so it's truly a privilege to, to be here and to stand here and just simply be able to tell you today what Jesus can do with a life. And that's what this is all about. And only Jesus can do this. It's not about the shoeboxes necessarily. Those just become a tool in the hands of God. And I have seen just these shoeboxes become a tremendous blessing in many people's lives. That's what I do day in and day out. I listen to stories of people who received shoeboxes in the past, and today they live here in the United States. And my job is to train them and disciple them and love on them and really just guide them as they go out and they share their stories, just like I am going to share my story here with you today. So truly, what a privilege that is. So I came to the United States 13 years ago in 2002. And when I came to the States, I lived in Philadelphia for, for the first two years. And in 2004, I moved down to North Carolina. Now, that was like moving to another country, y'all. And so when I moved to North Carolina, I just remember everybody just saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. They don't do that in Philadelphia. And then they told me that, that if I just learn how to say y'all, I'm going to be all right and blend in just fine. And so here I am, y'all, sharing my story with you. And when I moved to North Carolina, I was in Durham at Gorman Christian Academy, what you saw in the video. And here I was in this tiny little Christian school, 90 students, kindergarten through eighth grade. That was it. And the principal at the school wanted the school to be more mission-minded. And so he handed a brochure to the music teacher and said, I want you to kick this ministry off in chapel, and I want you to get, to get the kids super excited. And so she came to me. She happened to be my best friend. And she came to me, and she said, hey, Zibola, would you help me with this? We need to get the kids excited in chapel about this ministry. And so we sat down. It was a rainy October afternoon that we sat down to read this brochure. And as we are reading this brochure, I have never heard of Operation Christmas Child before. This was an Operation Christmas Child brochure. But as we were reading through it, I recognized what this ministry does. And it dawned on me, hold on a second, I got one of these. And can I just say, I didn't get just a little excited. I got a whole lot excited. Operation Christmas Child, when they distribute their shoeboxes, they do not distribute them in the name of Operation Christmas Child or in the name of Franklin Graham. It all goes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the goal is not to proclaim who we are as, as an organization when we get to these children. The goal is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened for me. So needless to say, here we were. We got these kids super excited in chapel. 90 kiddos, kindergarten through eighth grade. You can do some crazy stuff with those kids. I bought a really fancy looking Christmas tree costume and some craziness went down. And these kids, they got so excited. These 90 students, they brought in 100 shoe boxes. And we were like, whoa. And so we said this, you know what? We're going to set our goal. And we're going to say, how about everybody packs two boxes and we can reach 180 kids all around the world. And they got so excited, they brought, they brought in 250. And we were a little blown away, but we were also a little scared. Because where do you go from there, right? 
And so we set our goal, shame on us, to 251. And God said, really? How about 436? And that's how much they brought in the next year. And it just kept on snowballing from there. The last year when I was at Gorman Christian Academy in 2014, they brought in 1,852 shoeboxes. And it hasn't stopped since then. Last year, they brought in just a little over 2,000. And it just blows my mind. But what I realized, because a lot of people would come up to me and say, what do you do? And I said, I didn't do anything. What I see is that these kids, even though they are little, they caught the vision. They got it. They understood that this is a ministry that you can make disciples around the world, that you can proclaim the gospel by sitting in the comfort of your own living room and packing a box in the air conditioning. And you never have to get on an airplane. And you never have to get a passport. And really good news for them, you never have to get a shot. And you can be a missionary around the world. And they caught that vision. And they said, we are going to be missionaries around the world. Well, by now, I'm pretty sure I don't have to give you the disclaimer that this is not a southern accent. Okay? And so when, after I, I move, let me just back up and tell you a little bit about how the Lord worked in my life and how I am here where I am today. Growing up in communist Romania, you probably heard a lot about how that would look from history books. You probably um, heard from other people, but can I just tell you, it's different living through it. For us, um, it was a very controlled environment. We couldn't speak freely. You couldn't live where you wanted to live. You couldn't have any job that you wanted to have. The government, the government controlled everything, including what you put in your mouth. Every single little bite that you bought, you have to sign the big books at the grocery store that you belong to. You couldn't say the name of God because that could cost your life. You couldn't take a Bible in your hands and walk down the street because that could cost your life. And people didn't go to church because those simply did not exist, at least not on the surface. And so that's how we grew up. So we didn't know anything about God. We didn't know anything about God's word. And my brother and I, I have a brother who is three years older than me. And from the time I was three years old, my mom and dad, they were very hardworking people. And they would, they've worked their entire life in a factory. And they would get up at 530 in the morning. And they would have to leave the house and go to the factory to make a living so we can survive. And so my brother and I, we became independent very, very fast in life. I was three. He was six. My kids right now are three and six years old, and I cannot even imagine living them by themselves. But that's just how everybody did life. It wasn't because my parents were neglectful of us. And so we did life on our own. We got up in the morning with an alarm clock. We got dressed, eat our breakfast, crossed a busy road with no stoplight. They trained us how to do that, had a key around our neck, and then we would come home at the end of the day, and we had three very simple instructions. We had to do our homework, we had to eat our lunch, and we had to behave. And that behaving part got what tricky sometimes. We didn't have a lot to entertain ourselves with. We, we didn't have TV, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have anything like that. We didn't have toys, but we had our imagination, and we used it well. We had about three books in our house, and I remember our big mischievous behavior at night when it was time to go to bed. We didn't have electricity, so when it was dark, it was time to go to bed. And so we'd get under a blanket, and with a flashlight, we would read these books, these three books, over and over and over and over again. We knew them inside out. 
But I remember one exciting day. I was about seven years old. My brother and I, we came home from school, and we did everything we were supposed to do, and we were just trying to do this behaving part. And so we were looking around in the house for something to do. And we had an area rug in our living room, and we saw that something underneath the area rug was kind of popping up, bulging. And so we pulled that area rug up, and one of the tiles of our wooden floor was popped up and loose. So we took that tile and we took it up, and the next one popped up, and the next one popped up. And before we knew, there was a little hole in the floor of our house. And in that hole that day, we found the Bible. Never heard about the Bible before. Didn't know what it was. But can I just tell you what we knew is that we love to read. And this was a new book in our house. And this was exciting. And so we started reading it like we were taught in school from the beginning till end. And we started at the beginning, and if you can just think with me for a second, how would it be if you took God's word in your hand, you had no idea what it is, and you started reading it at the beginning? There are some exciting stories at the beginning of this book, right? You're like, yeah, right, okay. But for us, they were very exciting, okay? And so we started reading them. I remember clearly that day by the time mom and dad came home, we were past Noah because I remember telling them about this dude who built this big boat and all the water that covered the earth and how exciting that was for us. And my dad had this look on his face that I just knew we were in trouble. And he looked at us and he said, you take that book back where you found it and do not ever take it out again and do not tell anybody what you found in our house. See, my dad knew that if anybody was to find out that we were harboring a Bible in our home, we could be killed. Or we could disappear and nobody ever know again where we were. And so my dad knew that this was serious, but he never told us why. And so he put this book back, and he put the tiles back and the carpet back, and we didn't speak another word in our house that night. But you know how it is when you tell somebody not to do something? Especially if you don't tell them why becomes a little more exciting, right? And so here we were, the next day we would come home from school, and in our defense, we did everything we were supposed to do first. We ate our lunch, we did our homework, and then we could hardly wait to get to this little hidden treasure that now we knew that it was sitting right there. And mom and dad, they were not coming home until 6.30, and they were coming on a bus that was coming on a schedule, and they had four floors to get up to that, to that apartment, and you know what? We had no elevator, we had time to hide all kinds of things. And so we played it safely. But what I want to just point out and what I remember from those days is the excitement of just coming home. We could hardly wait to get home. We could hardly wait to, to eat at lunch, to do that homework, so we can get everything out of the way that we have to do, so we can get to this book and we can read the next story. And here we are, you and I today. We have the freedom, we have this book in our hands, and yet we take it for granted so many times. When was the last time when you and I, we could hardly wait to get home from work, to get home from wherever we are, so we can just pull this book out and we can just read? So I want to challenge you with that today. If nothing else challenges you here today, I want to challenge you with this. Would you allow God's word to, fell, to fall fresh upon you? Would you allow him to speak to you through those stories, through the, verse, through the verses that maybe you have read thousands of times before? But maybe today, they will be new in your eyes. God's word never gets old. 
And that's how it was for us then. It felt like it would never get old, that we could never soak it up. Now, if I was honest with you, the genealogy stripped us up a little bit. We were like, what is going on? And then we just persevered through those and got to the exciting part again. I understand today the importance of that. But back then, I just didn't get it. I was in the fifth grade, 11 years old. And I went to school one day, and, and one of my classmates came up to me. He said, Isabella, I want to share with you about something that I have been doing, and I trust that you are not going to tell anybody else, but I want you to come with me. I want to invite you to come and do this with me. So he proceeded to tell me how he started going to this little house about a mile down the street from our school that didn't look anything different from all the other houses. And he started going there Saturday nights after dark by schedule. And what that meant is that everybody who signed up to go to this little place would have to come in five-minute increments, and you had to stick to that schedule. You couldn't be early. You couldn't be late. The reason for that was to not draw attention from the outside world. It was a little underground church. It wasn't literally underground, but it was trying to go low profile so that the government would not know what was going on. And he was so excited about this place. And he was telling me about how they're learning stories. And I thought to myself, well, this is right up my alley. Plus, the whole circumstance around this sounds like a really exciting scavenger hunt. And so I went home so excited. And I told my dad about it. And I asked him if I could go to this little church. And I give you one guess what he said. Yeah, he was not so excited about it. And I begged him and I begged him and I begged him. And finally, a couple weeks later, I think he just wanted me out of his hair. He just finally said, if your brother goes with you, you can go. So this is how my brother and I, in my fifth grade year, we started going to a little underground church in communist Romania. And when I got there, we were just sitting in a circle, about 12 of us or so. And it was a pastor who was reading to us from a big hardcover orange book. And he would read to us stories, just like my friend promised. And then it was who, what, where questions. He didn't pray with us. He didn't explain to us that there is more to these stories. Because he couldn't. He never knew when new people would come in like we just did. If we were spies trained by the government. Or we were just innocent newcomers. And so he had to be very careful. But a couple months after I started going to this little place. I'm sitting there one Saturday afternoon, and he's reading a story, and I'm thinking to myself, I know this story from somewhere. I have read this story, and I'm raising my hand, and I'm like, I know this story. I have this book in my house. And I was so excited, and he just very gently pulled me to the side at the end after everybody was gone, and he said, tell me about it. And so I did. I told him how we found this story, and I said, but it doesn't make any sense. How can you have the same story in your book that is big and hardcover and orange, and mine is little and black? It just didn't make any sense to me. So he kind of explained that to me. And can I just tell you, I got so excited when I realized that he was reading from the exact same book that I had at home sitting right there in my floor. And I decided on that day that I am going to learn every story by heart so I can raise my annoying little hand every Saturday and I can finish his story before he can. Yeah, I was one of those. Good questions, bad questions, annoying questions, all the questions all the time at school. I was a teacher for 13 years. I don't like those type of kids, but I was one of them. And can I just tell you that it just birthed a new excitement in me. 
of I am going to learn every story, and I'm going to grasp this, and I am going to finish his stories before he can. I remember about a year after I started going to this little church, going in there one Saturday night, and I look, and I raise my hand, and this pastor knew me by then. He knew not to ever ask me in front of everybody. So when everybody was going to say, he said, yes, now you can ask me your question. And I looked at him, and I said, have you read Romans 12? And he said, well, I sure have. Have you? And I said, well, I have, but I don't think you know what it means. He was a very patient man, and he said, well, why don't you tell me? And I said, you know how Romans 12 in the first verses it talks about, and he says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We come in here every Saturday evening, and you tell us that this is the best book in the world that we are reading from, and yet you tell us not to go out there, not to tell anybody. Isn't that what Romans 12 is telling us? Don't worry about what the world says. Don't be conformed to that. You do what you know that is the right thing to do. And he looked at me that day, and he said, Oh, Isabel, God is going to do with you one day something. But right now, you better be quiet. And as I look back at those times in my life, what I see is that the Lord was working on me way before I decided that I'm going to let him. And he does that with you, and he does that with all of us. He starts working on us way before we make that decision that we are going to graciously let him in. And I am so glad he did. I was 13 years old in the seventh grade, and it was late September, and it started to get really, really, really cold. And I don't like cold, not to this day. And so I have decided in my mind that I'm going to go to church that Saturday evening, and I had a big request for this pastor. You see, in the winters in Romania, we have very harsh, cold winters. We did not have electricity, so at 5.30, it was bedtime for us as kids. We had to go to bed. But there was one exception. If it snowed, we could go outside and we could play. Because at least there was something to do. It wasn't completely pitch dark. And so for us, even though I'm not a huge fan of snow necessarily, but for us, snow was saving grace in the winters because we had something to do. And so I went to church with one thing in mind that Saturday, and I looked at this pastor, and I said, I need you to teach me how to pray. I read about prayer, I heard about prayer, but I never actually heard somebody pray. He asked me why, so I proceeded to tell him why I need to pray for snow. And he taught me that day very patiently how to pray for snow. And he put it so simple. We overcomplicate it so much sometimes. He put it so simple. He said, Isabel, I just talked to God like he's your best friend sitting right there next to you. You tell him what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and he will answer. He always answers prayers. And I thought to myself, well, bingo. If it's that how easy it is to ask, and he always answers prayers, then I got me my snow, right? And the next morning, I was so excited, y'all. I ran up to the window, and I looked outside, and I expected to see snow. And guess what? There was no snow. And I was disappointed, but I was not about to give up. But it was about two and a half months later. It was early December, and it still wasn't snowing. And by that point, I was very disappointed. And I remember going back to church and raising my hand, not quite as excited as I was before. And I looked at this person, and I said, did you know that this prayer 